Father, how great are You. Lord, the very breath in our lungs, the, the beat of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds, everything that we are, we have, that we might enjoy, that we might hope in, belongs to and comes from You. And so, Father, as we look into Your Word as part of our worship, may, may You give us a sense of who You are and how great You are that we might respond in worship and in praise this day through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, just one bit. It's not even administrivia, but I, I thought I might I thought I might mention it, and that is that uh, three years ago this week uh, I I started my ministry here, and so time does fly. What is that? Tempest fugit or something like that? In the in the time that mankind has, has roamed on this earth, we have built great cities, complex social systems. We've even sent rovers, uh, machines to other planets. And it's difficult to imagine all that coming to an end. And yet, scientists tell us that 99% of all the species that have ever lived are now extinct. And, uh, you know, today we may worry about snail darters and, and red squirrels, but, uh, but according to those who think big thoughts about such things, we may be the next statistic. Of course, there wouldn't be anybody to keep those, but that's all right. That takes a toll on our minds. It, it does. When you look at... Uh, just a brief survey of the psychological data reveals that over 54% of people ages 18 to 34 worry every day a great deal about global warming. In the 12 to 18 year old category, those fears are much higher. They've even given birth to new pathologies. Extinction anxiety, climate grief, a statistically significant number, percentage of young people today require medication to stem the anxiety of those conditions. I mean, we saw this phenomenon on full display just four months ago when Greta Thunberg a 16-year-old from Sweden told the United Nations, I shouldn't be up here. I should be back at school with the, on the other side of the ocean, yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. She's not alone by any means. But is she right about... The world's end. Yes, she is. But will it be global warming? Stand in line. 
I could list at least 20 reasonable scenarios as to how this world is going to end. I will only mention three. I could list, I could stay up here all day with this. Three, first, flood basalt volcanism. Did you know that under the Yellowstone National Park lies one of the largest supervolcanoes in the entire world? And if that thing ever blew to the full extent that it could, it would spew out twice the material as the size of Lake Erie. In less than ten minutes, in less than ten minutes, Wyoming, uh, let's see, Montana and Idaho would cease to exist. Every person in those states would be dead. In a few hours, perhaps a day, 90% of the people living in North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado would be covered in a foot of hot ash. Even here in Houston, we would get a, about a quarter to half inch of cold ash if that thing blew. The West Coast wouldn't be safe. That massive pressure release would destabilize the fault lines that create what we know as the ring of fire. The whole West Coast would be a nightmare. The East Coast would survive, but whoopee-doo. The United States would cease to exist as an entity. We would be driven into the dark ages along with, by the way, much of the rest of the world. Why the rest of the world? Because the sulfur gases that would be emitted would immediately result in acid rains around the globe. Clouds and dust would create a situation where up to 10 degrees cooler the world would become. A new ice age, perhaps, would come upon us. And if the earth doesn't get you and if starvation doesn't get you because of all the crop failures, oh, by the way, bacteria will. Did you know that Europe in the 14th century lost 25% of its entire population from the Black Plague? 25%. Closer to home in just a two-year span in 1918 and 1919, the Spanish flu took out 20 million people. Second, I don't want to get lost on supervolcanoes because that's not the only one, now is it? There's also asteroid impact. Now, Hollywood has nearly ruined this as a serious contender, uh, yet there's no question that an asteroid large enough to destroy much or all of life on Earth will happen given sufficient time. In 1908, a, a mere 200-foot-wide asteroid fragment collided with the atmosphere over Siberia in Russia and it produced 1,000 times the energy of the bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima during World War II. 
Astronomers estimate that similar events like that happen every hundred years or so. And in fact, they, most of them fall over the ocean, so we don't care. But in 1490, one fell over a city in China and killed, in an instant, 10,000 people. In the Kuiper Belt, which is a zone just beyond Jupiter, there are more than 100,000 asteroids large enough to cause an extinction event on Earth if simply one of them hit us. Not only supervolcanoes and not only asteroids, but there's even a closer threat to us that literally could happen while we sit here this morning. Step aside, and that would be a super flare. More commonly known as a coronal mass ejection, the earth can handle ordinary ones, but scientists have seen and observed that an ordinary sun like ours on occasion emits a super flare. Bradley Schaefer of Yale University said that this thing could hit us with such strength that it would immediately burn up the entire ozone layer. Gone. It, the, the subatomic particles and the mass that would hit the earth would scorch it possibly leading to an extinction event. Even at 91 million miles away, that's a bunch of miles, folks. This thing can burn us. You know what? I got 17 more. There are plenty of world-ending scenarios that are at our doorstep. However, we don't hear about them. Do you know why we don't hear about them? If you go and you look at the USGS, the United States Geological Survey, and they start talking about like Yellowstone, they go through miles and miles of paper saying this. It's not going to happen, folks. Don't worry. Not in our lifetime. Not in the next thousand years. Maybe the next 10,000 years. Maybe 100,000 years. It's not going to happen. Don't worry. Astronomers tell us, don't worry about the sun. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Asteroids, hey, we can track them. Maybe with the right uh, technology, we can veer them away. Not going to happen. It's, all, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. You know why they do that? Because we would all have to take meds just to live. Can you imagine? I mean, one time my, my middle daughter was so afraid of something coming out of the sky and hitting her that we couldn't even go to 4th of July celebrations. Boom! And she was in tears and stuff. And so finally, I did the whole daddy promises everything's going to be okay. So we're in Dallas and we go to the, uh, it's, uh, the Texas State Fair and they're having this great huge uh, uh, fireworks thing. And we say, we're going to go in there and I've got her and all huddled and everything is going to be okay. And sure enough, one of the butt plates on one of those bigger ones comes down and smacks right there. I'm not talking about ten feet away. I'm talking about three feet away. My poor daughter hasn't believed me since. <laughs> Daddy, I don't, I don't know. I'm skeptical. Doesn't matter what I say. I'm skeptical, Dad. Well, I don't blame her, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. But here's what we hear about. Why do you think... 
Why do you think, think about this rationally with me for just a second, why do you think we never hear about those things? Those things that are really and truly possible in terms of any kind of imminent danger? It's because they're not man-caused. Why would we rather focus on something that man might have something to do with it. I'll tell you exactly why. Because if we feel that we caused it, we can fix it. Ooh, doesn't that make you feel good? It should make you feel really good that we can fix it. Now, I tell you what, now understand me. I am not minimizing in any way what we should do for our environment. We are caretakers of this world as told us in Genesis. We are to do everything that we can that's within our power to protect the environment, but we're focusing on these things because we feel like we have a measure of control of them because in the face of the sheer power of what the universe can do to us, we are helpless as babes. Some of the things that can take us out, we can't even observe. It would happen so quickly. So what are we to do? What are we to make of all of this? Should we get on meds? Self-medicate with alcohol? Maybe drugs? Marijuana, after all, it's legal in 11 states now. It won't be long before the federal government. Is that it? Should we eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we'll die? Should we crawl into caves? Maybe we should do that. Become survivalists. Create bunkers where we may not live forever, but by golly, we'll outlive most of the people. Populate Mars, maybe. What should we do? Become political activists? Control the things that we can control? Is there any place to turn? Is there any hope? Any help at all? Or do we just cling to flotsam and jetsam and wait for the next wave to take us under to our doom? Oddly enough, the answer lies in going back to the future. While you may not know it, the future holds the answer to our present. And the Bible is very clear about what is going to happen. We need not worry. We need not concern ourselves overly much with what might happen in the future because we know what will happen. In addition to that, we need to be concerned about our own lives and our own relationship with Christ. The Bible gives us front row seats to some of the most amazing scenes imaginable. In fact, we're going to be present, think about this, we are going to be present at some of the events that we talk about in here in the future. Where do I get that information and how can I say such a thing? We get it from the book of Revelation. The, in the original language, the apocalypsis. And what that means is the uh, revealing 
Uh, and that book that we're going to be looking at is by common consent, one of the most difficult of all books in the Bible. It's full of strange symbols. It has curious beasts. It's got uh, things with heads and horns and phenomena. A third of the sea turning to blood. What's up with that? Modern readers uh, find it strange, even among the Christian community. What in the world is this book about? Practical readers don't even care. They, they don't like the notion that anything could be prophetic in any kind of a true sense. In fact, the more fantastic the prophecy, the more they think that the writer's ingenuity is only matched by the improbability of what might happen. And so the consequence is this. Revelation has, is, and remains for most people a closed book. But what are we at First Colony Bible Chapel to do with it? Well, number one, the book is part of the canon. It's, it's Scripture. You look in your Bible and guess what you find the last book as? The book of Revelation. It is there. It is present. It is part of Scripture. And just because our unease with the symbolism or the subject matter that, that doesn't give us the freedom to thereby turn away from its interpretation or its application. We have to make use of it. And therefore, over the next year, we're going to look at the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ to John. We're going to plumb its depths. We're going to examine the threads of its rich theology. We're going to determine that not only is it understandable, but also it is indispensable in how we live our lives today and gives us hope for tomorrow. So instead of being filled with anxiety about how the world will end, we can in fact be filled with hope. Here at First Colony Bible Chapel, we have no official positions on the end times that Revelation speaks about. That's contrary to our way entirely. However, there's consistently been a desire among like-minded believers since the middle of the 1800s to move away from the allegorizing, the mysticizing, the spiritualizing that this poor book has been subjected to ever since Constantine. And I'm not going to get into the history of that right now, but let's just say no one in the church until the mid-1800s took the book seriously or literally. They viewed it as history. Oh, this is what happened with Nero. This is all about Nero. It's got nothing to do with us. Well, maybe we can draw a principle here. Maybe we can draw a principle there. But largely, that's what put the book on the shelf. Well, we're going to take it off the shelf. I mean, what you do here is there are many passages in the book of Revelation that are confusing to us, that are not clear to us. But that doesn't mean that's because they're not clear. The book of Revelation is to do what? It's to reveal. So the point is, it's to be understood. It's for us to enjoy. 
Our problem is we don't have familiarity with the Old Testament. That's the real problem. The real thing is that all of the symbols that we find in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, are actually explained elsewhere. And we can begin to have a solid understanding of these things. And the original readers, they got it. But we have to do a little more research. It's not our culture, it's not our language, not our time. But nevertheless, we can still understand uh, some things here. He wasn't only, John wasn't only speaking of things in the past with Nero and persecutions and things like that. He was also, I mean, yes, he was. He, He did speak of those things. He did speak to the seven churches. There were seven real churches in space and time, and he did speak to them in their context and in their situation. But he's also speaking to us. And not simply by way of application. Also by interpretation because it looks toward the day for all believers when Christ comes again. Something we must take seriously. And even though, now get this, even though the images that we see in the book, many of them are in fact catastrophic. But we find our Lord Himself tells us, if you're in Revelation 1, uh, I'll read the entire 1 through 8 here in just a moment. But if you're there, I want you to lay your eyes and allow your mind to feast on verse 3. And allow your heart to be uplifted because Jesus Christ Himself tells us this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We are in fact blessed by the words of the revelation of Jesus Christ, by what He has given to us, And we should be glad to hear, to read what it says. So, with that in mind, let us therefore read the book of Revelation together this year. I'm only going to read a piece of it this morning. But so that we might see what God's plan is that He has revealed so that we might be able to give Him glory, so that we might be able to have hope in our lives. So let's read Revelation 1, 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in them, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I could have preached five sermons on this text. We have a year to get through the book. And so while we will move quickly, we will stop at the very important points. One of the most important points is the very name of the book, which we've mentioned before, Apocalypsis. And what that means is to lay bare. It literally means to make naked, to expose to full view that which was before unknown, hidden, or secret. The first use we find of it in the New Testament might be a little surprising to you since we just went through the season. It's in Luke uh, 2.32. You can make a note of that. No need to turn to it. But it was used by Simeon. You remember Simeon. Simeon had uh, this uh, promise from the Lord that he would see the Messiah before his death. And when they brought the baby Jesus to the temple, Simeon takes the baby And he says, a light to, and he uses our word, apocalypsis, the Gentiles. That's the word that Simeon uses. In other words, what he's saying is, is this baby is the light that will reveal himself to the Gentiles, who would make himself completely known. And most, not all, we don't all know our heritage, but most of us in here are in fact Gentiles and this blessing is something that has come to us. God intends for the book to be understood. So that, I mean, that's really the first misconception that I want to, to clear out. The book is not a closed book. It is an open book. It is for us to do diligence in order to understand its meaning. Because it was precisely revealed to who? To his bond servants. Well, that's who we are. It was revealed to the seven churches. And this word bond servants, uh, servants doulos, is, this is a wonderful uh, word. And, uh, but it, our mind, the modern mind I should say, rejects this notion almost entirely. I am no one's servant. I am free. I am not bound. I am the captain of my soul. I'm the one who's in control of this operation. So we, we, don't, we don't like this word to begin with. We don't care about it. But the thing is, is we're all in bondage anyway. Did you know that? Do you realize that you're in bondage? You're a do loss to something. To some, when uh, Barbara and I were at 
stationed at the Air Force Academy. <clears throat> we had never been in a place before where hummingbirds were all over the place. And at, up in Colorado where we were at, they were everywhere. So we wanted to get in on the action. So we put some hummingbird feeders in our backyard. And uh, sure enough, it was a hit. Here they come. Zoom, 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 zoom. I mean, they're flying all over the place. But in a matter of a few days, there was only one. Some male had taken them all over. That's all he would do, sit in his tree, waiting. He'd see anybody, zoom, boom, chase them off, get some food out of the feeder. All he did. His every waking moment was chasing other hummingbirds off. And I tell you what, we learned two things right away. One is hummingbirds are mean. You know, their, their meanness is only matched by their cuteness. They're fierce little critters, and they make a whole lot of racket. You wouldn't think so, but they do. But here this thing is really ended up being possessed by his possession. It was in his nature to hoard this food. It's the way he was made, and he had to give up his freedom. His freedom to what? He couldn't go where he wanted to go. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. He was locked in on these cages or uh, feeders. He might as well have been in a cage. And for those of us who are in Christ, we are doulos of the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. In Christ. We are servants, but we are servants to freedom, to true freedom, to do that which the Lord wants of us. It's not simply freedom from something, sin. It is, but it's freedom to something, to serve. To serve and to live with God in peace and righteousness. So this designation here uh, actually gives the division of the the book in, in many ways, who who is, who was, who is to come. We have all of this present in, in the book. Who is describes the fact and quality of the continual existence and the distinctive uh, care that God provides for us. His essence, I am, the I am of the Old Testament. John eight fifty eight. what a wonderful statement that was. Who was refers to the fact that he not simply... Uh, is now, but he was, always was. I am that I am. He always has been and to come, is to come. Literally, it means the coming one. He is coming back. So Christ is seated at the Father's right hand. We know this. He has spoiled Satan and all of Satan's demonic hosts by his death and by his resurrection. But he is also coming back. And when he does, he is going to rise up and he's going to take the reins of control through the great tribulation. And so we praise him. We praise him for who he is. He loves us. The person and the work of Christ, a study in and of itself. His past ministry who released us. This word luo is a wonderful word. He, he freed us. It's a past and it's it's, it's, it's a great word. I won't go into the grammar, but it was a one-time event. It happened. 
It's done. If you've been freed by Christ, you have been freed by Christ. You do not need to be freed again. He has freed you. It's an accomplished fact. Something that does not need any repetition. It's the finished work. And only Christ has the power to untie, to set free, to give us life. Because we are or were, depending on our relationship with Christ, in bondage to sin. We had a sin problem. Both the penalty and the power of sin. But through Christ, the great releaser, we have been freed. And only Christ can do that. This past week, uh, Barb was in the hospital uh, recovering. The ho- she was in the hospital the entire week. And it's, it's I uh, and some of us, we don't need reminders of how close death is to us. But we get them anyway. Um, so Barb herself is never more than 72 hours away from death, depending on her medication. That's sobering. And it caught up with her a little bit this past week. But the truth is, not one person in here is more than one heartbeat away from death. The truth is, we are all mortal. The truth is, that that is the way it is. But see, we don't like to think about that. We push that aside. I open my message, this message, this morning with thoughts about the end of the world, but frankly, I am not one whit concerned about the end of the world. I'm concerned about the end of me. I'm concerned about the end of the ones that I love, and I'm concerned about the end of the people on this earth. Not how they die, not when they die, but that when that happens, they are in right relationship with Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. In eternity, our lives are but a spot. You can't even make a dot. It would be entirely and completely imperceptible. Yet the truth is, the decision that we make during our sojourn on this earth is a decision that will impact the rest of eternity for us. And I know that Paul didn't mean it exactly this way, but he did a little bit. That in Romans seven twenty four and 25, the Apostle Paul, when he looks at how the world's end, when he looks at life the way it is, when he looks at his own struggle and how to be in right relationship in terms of walking with Christ, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Neither you nor I need fear what the future holds. For the Alpha and the Omega, the one who loves you more than anyone in the universe is the one 
who holds the unfolding future in his hands. And he gave his life, his son's life, not so that you might die, but so that you might live. And I am excited about what we're going to learn through this book this year. So if you felt that it was a closed book, the Holy Spirit, hear this, is going to open your heart. Watch for it. And you will see it. Father, we are grateful that even though death and destruction and mayhem and chaos surround us truly on every side, the only reason we don't see it for the most part is because we put blinders on. We don't want to see it. But Lord, the wonderful truth that we find in Your Word is that we can look in the full face of these things and yet not be alarmed, knowing that You, who love us, are in complete control. We thank You We praise You. We look forward to what You will reveal to us. uh, How our own minds will be open to apocalypsis. Your Word, Your revelation. Your laying bare the things that You're going to do in the future. Thank You. Praise You through Christ our Lord. Amen.